And it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that is live over at Joy 620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com or Google Play or iTunes or Podbeam or you're telling Alexa to play it. However you are listening to the show, we are thankful for that. Wherever life finds you, whether that be in your car, uh, on the mower, in your kitchen, uh, whatever that looks like, we are grateful. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful. Today is going to look a little bit different. I'll just go ahead and tell you. Uh, we are going to first start with an article, uh, an article that is over at Desiring God. And, and I think it's important that we look at that because we are living in um, a time where we have neighbors, we have friends, we have uh, coworkers, we have folks that we go to church with. Uh, you know, back in, back in what, March, when the pandemic kind of began, what we found was there was a really good chance, uh, March, April, May, even June, July, maybe, you didn't know anyone that, that had tested positive for the virus. You didn't know anyone that had truly been impacted. You didn't really know anyone that had died, had gone to the hospital, been on a ventilator. But now you fast forward to nine or 10 months later, and there's a good chance you probably know someone, especially if you're living in a, a large area like Knoxville. Or, or maybe if you're in a rural community, a small town where you kind of know everybody, there's a good chance that you know somebody that, that got it. Maybe a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe a coworker's parent or something like that. And so uh, there's an article over at Desiring God called Fearless Even in Illness, and it's Lessons for the Hospital. And so I think it's important that we look at that because it gives us a sense of God's sovereignty. It gives us a sense of the grace and mercy uh, that God shows. It also gives us a sense of the brokenness that we live in. Uh, you know, in Genesis 3, when, when sin entered the world, it did fracture everything. And so we have viruses, we have pandemics, we have cancer, we have heart disease, we have broken marriages, we, we have uh, absentee fatherhood. We have all of these things, and, and you can find their origin right there in the garden in Genesis 3. And so I, I do think it's important that we do that. You know, we spent a lot of time in the last few weeks, months, talking about elections and, and talking about politics and things that are going on. But I do want to get us to a place where even in the midst of all of that, we, we allow ourselves to uh, look at the, the sovereignty of God, allow ourselves to reflect on what that means, and, and hopefully bring about some peace. And then after we look at this article, I'm going to do something that, that I don't think I've done in the past. I, I'd have to look back at old shows. Uh, but there's a great, uh, I, I guess, poem, I guess you would call it, by John Piper, and it's called The Innkeeper. And it's a, it's a fiction piece. It's, it's not, uh, he didn't pull it from the Bible. It, it, you know, if you know John Piper, he's a theologian, an incredible writer and thinker, pastor. Uh, but, but this particular work of his really had an impact on me a few years ago. And every Christmas, I pull it off the bookshelf and I read it. And, and whether I read it to myself or I read it to, uh, when, I, when I taught a life group, I would read it to the life group or, or my family. Because I think it's important that we look at it. And, and I, I would highly recommend you purchasing The Innkeeper by John Piper. And we're, I'm going to let you know why uh, after the first break. But, but I'm going to actually read the entire story to you. And, and I know that some of you may be thinking, well, that's not going to be good radio. I'll do my best, okay? Uh, but I do think that it gives us another perspective. Again, as, as today's show is going to kind of look at just God's sovereignty, in the, in the broken, in the, in the rough days, in the good days, in the mediocre days, what does that look like for the Christian? What does that look like for the person that lives a life with a biblical worldview? 
And so I, I think Piper's The Innkeeper is one of the best uh, fiction works when it comes to looking at what happened when Jesus was born in the days immediately following that. Uh, this is John Piper's way of looking and going, this could have happened. And if this did happen, what does that mean for the promise that we have in the king that came? The king that we celebrate on Christmas. The one that came as a baby and lived a perfect life and died on the cross and then rose three days later. If we can, if we can look at everything through that context, uh, I think what, what Piper does with this work is it gives us a glimpse into uh, the innkeeper and, and truly the sacrifice that might have occurred there. When he said there's no room in the end, but, but I do have a stable for you. And what followed after that is... Uh, this is going to be Piper's telling of that. And I'll, I'll read that here in a little bit. But first, let's start with Fearless Even in Illness. This is written by Catherine Butler over at Desiring God. And, and again, this is her uh, thought process. And I think it's you know, important for us to, to think through this. Uh, whether it be your, your family, maybe your family is, has suffered COVID. Maybe a family member is in the hospital now. Maybe a family member uh, or a friend or coworker has been on a ventilator, but are good now or better now. Maybe it has nothing to do with COVID. Maybe you have a family member that has cancer. Maybe you have an elderly grandparent or a parent that is living in an assisted living facility or a nursing home right now, and they're struggling with loneliness and depression and everything that comes along with that. I mean, the, the list can go on and on when we look at uh, fearless, even in the midst of all of those things. And so Catherine starts by saying, over a year ago, my kids and I visited our friend in the hospital during one of his many um, emphysema flares. He'd suffered a long, complicated course, bouncing back and forth for months between a rehabilitation center and a hospital without stabilizing long enough to ever return home. Before long, an oxygen tank was his constant companion, and he could no longer sing the hymns that had once lifted him in his trouble in its times of trouble. My kids were accustomed to such visits and clambered next to our friend to scribble in coloring books while we talked. As they snuggled up beside him, he didn't chuckle or embrace them as usual. When I asked him his thoughts, his eyes stirred with unease. And he said, quote, I don't understand what God is doing. Referring, of course, to his worsening illness. Then in a quivering voice, he said, I'm scared. My friend's experience wasn't unusual. Fear preys upon the minds and hearts of all who walk through the sliding doors of a hospital. Some of us even careen in on, on stretches, fearing for our lives as clinicians flock around us to stem a gush of blood or a haywire heartbeat. Others struggle to quiet our pounding hearts as we await a surgery or a biopsy result. Still more wring our hands in waiting rooms where we fear the loss of a life interwoven with our own. Whatever the circumstances, illness can stir up fears we never knew we harbored. Although medication can dull our pain and therapies can slow cancer in its march, no pat answers can sponge away such fears. The wounds course too deep, and the nightmares linger too long after we have woken from anesthesia. And yet, we have hope, even in the hospital. God remains sovereign over all the needles in the pathology reports, the bad prognosis, and the statistics. His love and faithfulness are everlasting and unchanging and wholly independent of the conditions listed in our medical charts. Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, gave his life to save us from the darkness, darkest of fears. How do we cling to this truth when anxiety seizes us in the hospital? As one who has walked alongside the sick, both as a clinician and as a friend, here are three truths to consider. 
First, we can give our fears to God. Turmoil that flutters in the pit of the stomach can prompt us to turn to God in prayer. The Bible doesn't promise us freedom from tribulation, but it does promise that the Lord will hear when we pray to him. David sings, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. That's Psalm 34. Paul guides us to pray without ceasing. And Peter encourages us to cast our anxieties on God because he cares for us. Praying without ceasing doesn't mean God will give us what we want. His ways are higher than ours. And God works all things for good, even in the face of suffering. And yet, when we prayerfully turn our fears over to the Lord, he, uh, he, he gilds us in the peace of Christ. As Paul elegantly reminds us in his letter to the Philippians, Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's in Philippians 4. When you shudder at the blip of a hospital monitor and wrestle with worries in the sterile night, give your fears to God. In Christ, he will cover you with peace to endure. Second, we can remember that God is with us. The Psalms beautifully express how God, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, delivers us from our fears. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. In whom shall I be afraid? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear through the earth, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. During the Exodus, God led his people through the wilderness day and night, never departing from them. So also does God remain with us. Through the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us, Jesus, our light, our salvation, our stronghold promises to be with us not only during the biopsies and not only in our pain, but always to the end of the age. Finally, we can meditate on all that God promised us. Jesus advised his disciples against anxiety, pointing out that life consists of more than earthly details, that the Father will provide for his own, and that those who follow Christ are heirs to incomparable riches in the kingdom. If God so clothes the grass, which alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? He taught during the Sermon on the Mount, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Father gives us the kingdom and thus abolishes our fears through the redeeming blood of the Son. He embraces us as his own children, drawing us near when nightmares jolt us from um, sleep. He See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Our hope is in the Lord, and in Christ nothing can wrench us from his love. This truth, that our light, our stronghold, our refuge, and strength dwells with us and has already saved us, guts the fears that haunt us in the hospital corridors. We have a truth that no prognosis can sully, no pain can dim its light, no disease can diminish its power. You see, what I'm not saying right now is that immediately your anxiety and fear is going to go away when you, when you read this or when you look at what the Scripture says or when you look at what's going on. What, what I'm saying is maybe that fear and anxiety will subside, will be easier to deal with. Maybe if we trust in the sovereignty of God and the grace and mercy that comes along with that, when we find ourselves in those situations, whether it be us on the hospital bed or our mom or our dad or our grandparents or our coworker or our spouse or our child, 
Maybe in those moments, we will trust in the God of the universe. Because frankly, folks, you, you, you're not going to be able to trust in yourself. You know, I often think about, even with my children, I, I tell my kids, look, daddy's not going to ever let anything happen to you. As long as I'm here, nothing is going to happen to you. Now, now I say that because I want them to have boldness and I want them to live without fear. But the reality is a tragic accident could happen today. Or a diagnosis could come to one of my children and there's nothing that I can do. I'm not a doctor. I don't have the cure for cancer. I don't have a cure for uh, an accident on the road. But, but trusting in the God of the universe allows me in those moments to look my children in the eye and say, look, God is, is involved and engaged in our lives at an intimate level. And although we may not understand all of this, although we may not understand the pandemic of 2020, although we may not understand that, that pastors and coworkers and family members have lost their lives to a virus that makes no sense to anyone, and we may try to mask it, pun intended. We may try to do these things to make us feel as if we are protecting ourselves. But the reality is, living in the fear and allowing the anxiety to, to drive our decisions is unhealthy and unsustainable. Now, that doesn't mean we go out and live recklessly. No, you still put on your seatbelt. You still look both ways when you cross the street. I'm going to be running here in a second, and I always run across a railroad track. What do I do? I look both ways because I'm not reckless. So, so we have to use the minds and hearts that God gave us, but the anxiety and the fear can, can be alleviated when we trust that God, even in those darkest of moments, has a hold of us. Now, when we come back, I, I'm going to kind of switch gears, and I'm going to read to you The Innkeeper by John Piper. And I hope it impacts your life as much as it has mine over the last few years. We'll talk when we come back. When I get down on my knees, I say, let there be peace. Peace to every nation. Let there be hope for all the world to see. Let there be love and joy to all the children. Let there be peace on earth. So again, if you haven't gotten Carrie Underwood's latest Christmas album, you're missing out. It's good stuff, a great voice, and uh, it's classic too. It's going gonna, it's gonna to last for sure, so I highly recommend that. Uh, today, again, we're going to look at, we're kind of just looking at God's sovereignty in the, um, in the midst of, of everything that's going on. And in the first segment, we focused on, um, you know, even in the hospital, even, even when things are going south and, and bad, uh, how do we trust in God? What, what, what does the scripture tell us about that? And, and so hopefully that was helpful. Uh, the rest of the time, depending on how long it takes, I'm going to be reading from uh, a piece written by John Piper called The Innkeeper. And I came across this a few years back, um, and man, it just rocked me. And, and uh, you can find it on YouTube of him reading it. You can also you can download it free 
online, uh, The Innkeeper by John Piper. Uh, you also uh, can purchase, I purchased the actual book because it has some pretty incredible illustrations in it, and, and I just wanted it on my bookshelf. And so I didn't want, when I wanted to read it, I didn't want to have to go find it online. Uh, so I do have it on my bookshelf, but it's called The Innkeeper by John Piper. I'm going to quickly read just a, a quick word from it in the beginning to kind of give you some context. Piper wanted to provide context before he got into it. Again, this is fiction. This is not uh, this is not Piper using exegesis or, or pulling out, uh, hey, Scripture tells us this. This is Piper reading Scripture and going, what if this occurred? What if this happened? Uh, how does this help us shape our, our biblical worldview? So let me, let me read you a quick word from him, and then we'll get in to the work itself. And it says, so quickly do we pass over the Christmas words. Herod slew all the male children, two years old and, old, and under. But the poet lingers, weeping, raging, looking at the dark spot in hope that any prick of light might become a portal for the sun. And what he sees, he strains with words to show, pressing us against the perforation in the wall of pain. Why this struggle? Why does the poet bind his heart with such severe discipline of form? Why strain to give shape to suffering? Because reality has contours. God is who he is, not what we wish or try to make him to be. His Son, Jesus Christ, is the great granite fact. His hard sacrifice makes it evident that our spontaneity needs Calvary-like discipline. Perhaps the innkeeper paid dearly for housing the Son of God. Should it not be costly to penetrate and portray this pain? The innkeeper seeks to reveal the light that shines beyond, behind this brutal moment in history and our own path of suffering. And Piper says, come and see. Jake's wife would have been 58 the day that Jesus passed the gate of Bethlehem and slowly walked toward Jacob's inn. The people talked with friends and children played along the paths and Jesus hummed a song and smiled at every child he saw. He paused with one small lass to draw. A camel in the dirt then said, what's this? The girl bent down her head to study what the Lord had made. She smiled, a camel, sir and laid her finger on the bulging back, where merchants bind their leather pack. It's got a hump, indeed it does, and who do you believe it was who made this camel with this hump? Without a thought that this would stump, the rabbi guilt, and he revealed, she said, God did, and Jesus smiled. Good eyes, my child, and would that all Jerusalem within that wall of yonder stone could see the signs of peace. He left the lass with lines of simple wonder in her face and slowly went to find the place where he was born. Folks said the inn had never been a place for sin, for Jacob was a holy man. And he and Rachel had a plan to marry, have a child or two, and serve the folks who traveled through, especially the poor who brought their meal and turtle doves and sought a place to stay near Zion's gate. They'd rise up early, stay up late, to help the pilgrims go and come. And when the place was full to some, especially the poorest, they would say, We're sorry. There's no room, but stay now, if you like, out back. There's lots of hay, and we have extra cots that you can use. There'll be no charge. The stable isn't very large, but Noah keeps it safe. He was a wedding gift to Jake because the shepherds knew he loved the dog. There's nothing in the Decalogue, he used to joke, that says a man can't love a dog. The children ran ahead of Jesus. He strode toward Jacob's inn. 
The stony road that led up to the inn was deep, with centuries of wear and steep, at one point just before the door. The Lord knocked once, then twice, before he heard an old man's voice. Round back, it called, so Jesus took the track that led around the inn. The old man, the old man leaned back in his chair and told the dog to never mind. Ain't had no one to tend the door, my lad, for 30 years. I'm sorry for the inconvenience to your sore feet. The road to Jerusalem is hard, ain't it? Don't mind old Shem, he's harmless like his dad, won't bite a Roman soldier in the night. Sit down and Jacob waved the stump of his right arm. We're in a slump right now. Got lots of time to think and talk, come sit and have a drink. From Jacob's well, he laughed. You own the inn, the Lord inquired. On loan, you better say, God owns the inn. At that, the Lord knew they were kin and ventured on. Do you recall the tax when Caesar said to all the world that each must be enrolled? Old Jacob winced. Our north winds cold? Our deserts dry? Do fishes swim and ravens fly? I do. A grim and awful year it was for me when God ordained that strange decree. How could I such a time forget? Why do you ask? I have a debt to pay and I must see how much. Why do you say that? It was such a grim and awful year. He raised the stump of his right arm. So dazed, young man, I didn't know I'd lost my arm. Do you know what it costs for me to house the Son of God? The old man took his cedar rod and swept it round the place, empty for 30 years alone, you see. Old Jacob, poor old Jacob, runs it with one arm. A dog, no sons, but I had sons once. Joseph was my firstborn. He was small because his mother was so sick. When he turned three, the Lord was good to me and Rachel, and our baby Ben was born. The very fortnight when the blessed family arrived. And Rachel's gracious heart contrived a way for them to stay there in that very stall. The man was thin and tired. You look a lot like him. But Jesus said, why was it grim? We got a reputation here that night, nothing at all to fear in that we thought it was of God. But in one year, that slaughter squad from Herod came. And where do you suppose they started? Not a clue. We didn't have a clue what they had come to do. No time to pray, no time to run, no time to get poor Joseph off the street and let him say goodbye to Ben or me or Rachel. Only time to see a lifted smear, spear smash through his spine and chest. He stumbled to the sign that welcomed strangers to the place and looked with panic at my face as if to ask what he had done. Young man, you ever lost a son? The tears streamed down the Savior's cheek. He shook his head but couldn't speak. Before I found the breath to scream, I heard the words, a horrid dream. Kill every child who's two or less. Spare not for aught nor make excess. Let this one be the oldest here. And if you count your own life, dear, let none escape. I had no sword, no weapons in my house, but Lord, I had my hands and I would save the son of my right hand. So brave, oh, Rachel was so brave. Her hands were like a thousand iron bands around the boy. She wouldn't let him go. And so her own back met with every thrust and blow. I lost my arm, my wife, my sons, the cost for housing the Messiah here. Why would he simply disappear and never come to help? They sat in silence. Jacob wondered at the stranger's tears. I am the boy that Herod wanted to destroy. You gave my parents room to give me life, and then God let me live and took your wife. Ask me not why 
the one should live, another die. God's ways are high and you will know in time. But, but I have come to show you what the Lord prepared the night you made a place for heaven's light. In two weeks, they will crucify my flesh. But mark this, Jacob, I will rise and in three days from the dead and place my foot upon the head of whom him has the power of death. And I will raise with life and breath your wife and Ben and Joseph too and give them, Jacob, back to you with everything the world can store and you will reign forever more. That's The Innkeeper by John Piper. Again, it is incredible to me. It is incredible to me to think about what went on. Because like, like Piper says, we kind of gloss over the fact. We gloss over the fact that, that that's what occurred. That sons, that boys were, were sought out and slaughtered. Because Herod was trying to find the one they called the king, Jesus. And so how many lives were lost? And yet Jesus says in that moment, I... I've come to save, and we will be reunited. And His ways are greater than our ways. We'll talk more when we come back. We got a tree, goes up to the sea, and chop up the wood and go get the can. Sled down the hill, we'll get the four wheel and take you back up to the top. You could be ten miles away and see my house on the road. Yeah, one thing you're going to find on this show every Tuesday afternoon, or if you're listening to the podcast, is good music in between the breaks. Okay, so uh, that's Thomas Rhett. His, he's got a new Christmas album out as well, or at least a new Christmas song. Uh, look, I'll, I'll say this. I love, you know, I think his friends call him TR. I'm not his friend, but uh, I, I love Thomas Rhett. Uh, but him and his wife hosted a Christmas, country Christmas, something another, a few weeks back. And uh, let's just say they he should stick to singing. Hosting, probably not his thing. Uh, but but he can sing, love his music, great songwriter uh, as well. And, and so uh, that's a great song. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed that last segment. Uh, the Innkeeper, again, it, it's, it's fiction. It, it's not... Uh, you know, it's not Piper kind of adding to, to God's word or anything like that. It's simply looking in a very same way that C.S. Lewis in a lot of his works were he was trying to point people to Jesus, but he wasn't claiming that the line which in the wardrobe was biblical. He was just trying to point people to the truths of the gospel. And so there, there's nothing uh, out of sorts with that. I think what, what Piper's doing here is saying, okay, we, we see the words uh, in, in Scripture saying, that uh, you know, every boy two years and un- younger were uh, were to be killed. What does that mean in reality? And and it's not something that we should just gloss over. Uh, but it, but it points to even the 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 truer fact that that Jesus came and the the sacrifices that had to occur in order for the Savior to come. And and, and so and what that means and how how the the evil one is going to. Uh, Pray on that, P-R-E-Y, pray on that. And so, uh, again, I would, I would highly recommend it. Uh, you, can, uh, you can have Piper read it on YouTube. You can, find the, you can download the work over at Desiring God. You can also purchase the book, which is what I did. 
because the illustrations are pretty incredible. You can purchase it and put it on your bookshelf. I would, or put it on your coffee table. If people still do that uh, around Christmas time, so when people come over, um, that they can pick it up and, and look at it. I think at the very least, it's good to have a conversation on it. It points to God's sovereignty, points to the truths uh, of Jesus, and, and what that means, and, and what we have in uh, in Jesus's life death and resurrection and, and why that's important for us. And I, and I think, too, in, in, in the time that we find ourselves in, in the time that we find ourselves in, it, it is easy to, to let anxiety and fear reign in our lives. Now, now you'll, have, you'll hear some voices during this time uh, saying that, that if you are fearful right now, you aren't faithful I'm not saying that. I think that there there are all kinds of things that we're scared of, uh, and and so that doesn't mean that we're not faithful. It just means that there are some things that that scare us. Look, I'm faithful and I trust in God, but but is there a every now and then if I'm away from my kids or if if I'm flying, is, is there not a thought that crosses my mind? What if this plane falls out of the sky? What if that was the last time I hugged my child? What if that was the last time I hugged my spouse? I mean, those are, convert, those, are, those are things you're going to think. That doesn't mean you're not faithful to God. It doesn't mean that you don't believe uh, in the truths of God. It doesn't mean that you don't believe that this isn't our home and our home is in eternity. All of that is true, but, but also it's okay to, to uh, kind of enjoy your home. It's okay to enjoy the time with your family. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to grieve. Look, And, and, so, and so that's where we are right now. You know, we have folks talking about uh, vaccines, and there's a great article that, that I don't have time to get into today about the vaccine. And look, I, I get it. There's going to be people on both sides. There's going to be people up in the air. Do I want to take it? Do I not want to take it? What does it mean? How, how, what should I do? And I'm not going to push you one way or the other. But, but there's, some, there's some works out there that you can find that can help you in making that decision. But whether you take it or not or, or have opinions on it or not, it doesn't mean that you're unfaithful. It doesn't mean that you're questioning God. And so, so when, we, when we talk about these things, when, when, we, when we think through this, even common grace, have you ever thought about the, uh, the idea of common grace? Now, what is common grace? Common grace would be seatbelts. Common grace would be uh, how far we've come in cancer treatments. And, and what that means is there, through the giftings of folks that, that God has created, common grace goes to everyone. So now we have things, you know, we don't have kids dying of diarrhea anymore because of common grace. And so vaccines are common grace. Things, things like that, these are things that we must think through and think about and, and, and find ourselves at a place where we trust that, that God is engaged and involved. And look, I get it. It's been, a, it's been a weird year. A lot of folks are on edge on both sides of the aisle. A lot of folks are on edge when it comes to the pandemic. A lot of folks are on edge about what 2021 is going to bring. A lot of folks are on edge about what the next four years are going to look like because of who holds the Oval Office. A lot of folks are on edge about the way the Supreme Court looks today. Folks are on edge about their businesses being closed. Folks are on edge about their, their kids being out of school. Folks are on edge about 
whether they're going to have a job to come back to, or they working from home or working in the office. Look, that's just the reality. And so if we, if we allow ourselves to admit that that's the reality, maybe we'll offer some grace to each other. Maybe there's a reason why that person is, is or is not wearing a mask. Maybe there's a reason why that person is or is not going to get the vaccine. Maybe there's a reason why uh, that person is or is not going to homeschool. I mean, are we going to allow ourselves to do that? And the hard part is, I get it, it's difficult because of all of the news that's coming at you. But not just that, the hard part is, even within COVID, you have people that have experienced it, tested positive, literally had zero symptoms. And, and their, their kids and their acquaintances that also tested positive literally had zero symptoms. And then you've had people that have tested positive and been on the ventilator for three weeks or been in the hospital for three weeks. Then you have people that tested positive and lost their life. And so when you have those different experiences, then obviously you're going to see things differently when it comes to what's going on around us. So when we look at that in this context, folks, I'm just going to let you know, it is unsustainable to rely on your own uh, abilities to get through this. You're not going to be able to do it. And if your days are filled with social media feeds, the news, if that is your day every day, it's exhausting. I've talked about that on this show many, many times. It's exhausting. To feel as if you have to have an opinion on everything that's coming in front of us. We don't. You don't. And so as we, as we think about what's going on, allow ourselves to trust in God's sovereignty. Allow ourselves to trust in the grace that he offers. Allow ourselves to give grace to others. Are you willing to do that? Are you so angry about the current situation that you refuse to see others as people that bear the image of God? There's days I, I, I go through that. Can I be transparent with you? I probably shouldn't say this, but let me be transparent with you for a second. Every night I, I tuck my kids into bed, and every night I pray with them. And... Throughout the election, my, my second child, Summer, has been asking me, Daddy, who won the election? Who, who, you know? And, and the, you know, the conversation has been, well, they haven't completely finalized it. We're, we're tr- still trying to find out. Uh, you know, and conversations have gone, well, it appears as if Joe Biden won the election. And so my kids have heard me say, look, we pray for the president, period. End of story. We should pray for the president no matter who's in the Oval Office. And so the other night we're laying there, and my Summer is praying, and she says, Dear God, I uh, just pray that you would be with President Joe Biden. Can I tell you that there was a large part of me that wanted to stop her and say, hold on, Summer, we, uh, we pray for people that are pro-life. We don't pray for people that are going to bring in more abortions than this country has ever seen. You see, but if I would have done that, then everything that I've told my little girl up to this point 
about praying for the president would have been a lie. And so I get it, folks. I, I get it that, that we're concerned and we're angry and we're frustrated and we don't know what to do. And we, we, we feel as if sometimes the experts don't know what to do. But let, let me tell you this. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Be engaged, be involved, be in the know. But every now and then, turn that off and trust in the sovereignty of God. Trust in the grace that He offers, the mercy that He offers. And watch as the anxiety and fear is lifted as you rest in the God of the universe. We'll talk more when we come back. Let the children know there's a brighter day ahead. There's a great song by George Strait uh, from way back in the day called Christmas Cookies. And uh, and it's great. There, You know, George Strait is another... The way I found out about that song, Christmas Cookies, was there was a, uh, a store in my hometown called Shoes and More. Guess what they sold? They sold shoes and more stuff, other stuff. That's where I got my L.A. gears. That's where I got my, uh, my Sunday school, my Sunday church shoes. And they also, for whatever reason, this I guess this was part of the and more uh, they had a country CD that they sold, a Christmas CD, and George Strait had a song on it called Christmas Cookies. It's a great song, and it talks about how he sure do, does love uh, those Christmas cookie sugar. He calls his wife sugar because what country boy doesn't? And so uh, th- there's so many great Christmas albums out there that I highly recommend. Look, we're living in a, in a weird time. Christmas is going to look different for a lot of us. Are you getting with your family for Christmas? Are you not getting with your family? Are they going to come to your house? Are you coming to theirs? Are you going to do a Zoom meeting? What does that look like? No one knows. And it, no judgment. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. So, so as you think through that, allow yourself, maybe you have some time off toward the, uh, the end of the year, toward Christmas, uh, allow yourself to go out and find some great Christmas music to enjoy. At our house, what we do is we tell Alexa to play Christmas music, and we stand in the kitchen, and I dance around with my girls, and we sing to, to music, and I quiz my daughter on who's singing and what song is it, because she really enjoys that. And so uh, what does that look like for you? Are you having holiday traditions? Are you creating new ones this year? Uh, I think some of us watch Hallmark and we're like, oh, I can't keep up with that. I can't decorate my house like that. Or I can't do the gingerbread houses with my kids. Or we're watching social media and we're seeing all these families do this and do that. Look, do whatever you can. Does that mean you're making ornaments? Maybe. Or does it mean you're just sitting down and watching Home Alone? Or does it mean you're building a fire? Or does it mean you're going out and cutting down your own Christmas tree? Does it mean you're reading about the Advent? Does it mean you're, you're reading the Christmas story? Maybe, maybe that's what you need to do. On Christmas Eve, just get out and read the real Christmas story. I'm not saying the book in the movie, but the, the story about Jesus. Maybe you do that. It's worth your time. Maybe over the next few weeks, as we inch closer and closer to the end of the year, you would visit investinghope.com and click the donate button. Maybe you would do that. Maybe you would become a partner with Hope for the first time or continue your partnership with Hope uh, for the years moving forward. Maybe you become a monthly donor at Hope Resource Center. We would encourage that. We would welcome that. Investinghope.com. Look, what I want you to do as, you, as we inch ever so closer to the end of the year is get to a place where you are celebrating what God is doing. So many people are looking back at this year and saying, there's nothing positive. 
That's just not true. It's just not. I don't, even if things have gone really bad, there are some positive things we can take away from 2020. Now, what are those? And it's okay to sit down and write those out. Make yourself feel better. Hey, well, this happened. I got up today. My car worked. I got a new car. I got a new job. Like, do you know that there are people that got married this year? So 2020 forever is going to be their wedding anniversary. There are people that had their first child this year, their second child, their third child, their fourth child this year. You know, there's people that beat cancer this year. I have a, a friend that just had her last cancer treatment just the other day. So for her, 2020 is going to be the year that she was diagnosed with cancer and beat cancer. That's the year. So you're going to look her in the face and say 2020 was a wash and doesn't mean anything? No, it's huge for her. She would tell you she's closer to God now than she's ever been. So, so as we think through this, allow yourself to find those glimmers of hope, those moments that you can point to and say were amazing. And allow yourself to go find this song by George Strait, Christmas Cookies. That's good stuff. I'll talk to you next week. Now those sprinkly things just make things worse Cause it makes them taste better than they did at first And they're absolutely impossible to resist Some disappear to who knows where But I make sure that I get my share And those kids just stand there waiting for the ones I miss I sure